Praise the Lord, everybody. So great to be in the house of the Lord. So great to worship with you all. If you have your Bibles, if we could turn our Bibles to Psalms chapter 27, and we'll begin with verse 1. While you're getting there, I'd like to thank Pastor for giving me this opportunity behind this sacred desk to preach to this wonderful congregation. If you have your Bibles, Psalms chapter 27 and verse 1, will it begins like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me, and this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One more passage of scripture in the same book of Psalms. We'll start with chapter 63 and verse 1. Shout amen when you get there. Two. Five. Six. Seven. God's perfect number. There we go. It says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. And verse 4 of chapter 27 is where I like to hang my hat. One thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I would like to start by saying this. Hell is a real place. And Satan isn't on pause. He's going full force. Hell is hot and is getting added to daily. But I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The Lord has given me a message and it's simply entitled this. The Pursuit. We could all lay our Bibles down. Let's close our eyes. We could all lift our hands to heaven. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you today with urgency in this hour, God. The days that we are living in, we need you more than we have ever needed you, God. 
Our soul longeth for thee, O God. Lord, the world has gone rampant. It's gone wicked, and we need you in this place. Lord, open the ears. Open the blinded eyes. Lord, let your word come forth today in this house, God. Lord, let the word come forth. Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to me, Jesus. Anoint these lips of clay, O God. Lord Jesus, we give you praise, glory, and honor for what you're about to do in this house, for what you're going to do in this church, God, the mighty revival that's going to be coming. Lord, we praise you and we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. We all may be seated. The most exciting revelation you can have as you begin your pursuit of God is that you're not the one who began this pursuit at all. God started it. He pursued us first. In fact, God is continually pursuing us. This truth is evident throughout the entire Bible. But tonight, I want to talk about us pursuing God. In Psalm 63, what I just read, David wrote this at a time when he was wandering in the wilderness. What I find interesting is how different David's response in the wilderness compared to Israel in the wilderness. While Israel often responded in the wilderness with grumbling and unbelief and idolatry, David responds in faith and trust and confidence in God. We can learn that both examples, we can learn from both examples, but David's model for us shows us the trust of God, and growth and faith through the wilderness. David's wilderness experience reminds us, reminds him his, uh, his satisfaction and strength that is found in God. The physical wilderness creates hunger and needs that allows him to fill deeper desires and needs of his soul. What David desires most isn't deliverance or provision, what he wants more is God's presence. The pounding sun of the desert wilderness doesn't dry out David's trust in God. It causes him to run to God for refuge and refreshment. He plants his trust and faith in God. Whatever his circumstances might be, he earnestly seeks after and looks for God like a man thirsty in the desert that searches for water. He seeks for God early, often, and eagerly, rather than when it's convenient or on a rare occasion or out of duty. When you don't water a plant, for instance, the soil might dry up. When the soil dries up and the plant can't no, can't long, can't no longer absorb nutrients from it, thus resulting in the death of the plant. Plants that do not get watered become droopy. Don't believe me? Ask Lainey or Lissy. They go plant shopping I don't know how many times, and it's out of David and I's pocket. Plants, don't, plants that do not get watered become droopy. When you give plants the water they have, they have been longing for, they perk up. Our soul perks up the same when you give it a taste of the living water. Our enti entire survival is dependent upon water. 
Dehydration can be defined as not having enough water to keep your body working right. Dehydration leads to a loss of strength. We simply cannot survive without water. The same is for your soul. You might be sure in the dry places you are still seeking out this living water. Do you have enough water to keep yourself going? He allows his suffering, loss, absence, and needs to stir his longings for good things again. Whether it's gathering again with God's people or finding God to be his source of satisfaction and strength. He recalls and believes in the truths about God he has tasted in the past, such as his power and glory, steadfast love, his help, his protection, and presence as a refuge and being upheld. His chooses, he chooses gratitude over grumbling and thanksgiving over complaining. Even though he might not choose the circumstance he lives in, he rehearses, sings, and declares in his own heart what is true rather than listening to the doubts, whispers, and lies that swirl in the wilderness. He draws on God's track record and remembers God's faithfulness to increase his trust today. He finds his refuge in God and refreshment in his presence. Like a desert wanderer looking for a damp cave or shady tree, like a young bird looking for find, to find safety in his mother's wings, David runs to God rather than running from him. God is his shelter, his comfort, his defender. He doesn't allow the wilderness to cause him to drift from God, but to cling to him. The more desperate and dire the circumstances become, the more desperate and dependent he becomes. He brings his cry to God rather than complaining about or murmuring against God, and his confident God will and confident that God will deliver him from his trial. The more thirsty you get, the more desperate you'll get. Without that water, you'll surely die. He doesn't allow his present circumstances to diminish his view of God, but allows his big view of God to give perspective to his difficult circumstances. The God he trusts is bigger than the trial he faces. Even in a dry chapter of David's life, he stayed focused on his pursuit of God. No matter what kind of wilderness you're, you're lost or hiding in, know that God is eager to be found by you. He is delighted by your pursuit of him. Weddings are so wonderful. We've had a lot in this church. But what about proposals? Few things in life are as thrilling as a proposal. The romantic offer to take the hand of another and entwine your lives together. Two becoming one. That's exactly how the Bible describes Christ's pursuit on us. Like a groom eager to be throwed, betrothed by his bride. Now you have a decision to make. Will you choose to pursue him? Before you answer, consider the cost saying yes. In a proposal, the ring offered may be a free gift to you, but your groom paid an awful high price. Can I get any amens? Amber, did you buy the ring? 
<laughs> hey, at least we got an honest man. The Holy Ghost is a free gift tonight. It's a ring. God paid the ultimate sacrifice. He paid a high price. He died for you. What will it cost you? Yes, it's going to cost you some friendships. It's going to cost you your favorite hobby, but those things are temporary. Temporarily, they aren't what is going to get you to heaven. You got to put your whole life in him. Let him be in you and let him fill you with the Holy Ghost. When you accept his proposal and wear that ring, you're committed to be belong to your groom forever and pursue him in return. When we follow him, we begin to see him for who he truly is, and we learn who he has created us to be. Will you accept his proposal to follow him, or, you, or, or will you tell him to go away? Are you willing to leave everything to pursue Christ? We shouldn't have to think about if we want to pursue Christ. Christ died for you and for me. In Matthew chapter 8 and verses 18 through 22, it reads, And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, saw two, brother, two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they, say, and they, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And a ship was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship, and their father followed, and their father, and they followed him. Notice it says, immediately they left their ship and followed him. We need to immediately drop the things of this world and follow Christ. We need to pursue God. Wonder why those disciples got to see the miracles that God performed. It's because they pursued after him. They immediately dropped everything they were doing and followed Christ. There are people that will say, God, I'll do it. Do it if you do this. God, if you want me to do that, I want you to do this and this and this. Isn't that something? We will do something for God if he gives us something in return. But when God speaks, but when the devil speaks to you just one time, you believe it. But when God speaks to you, you got to have five, six, seven prophets to confirm it, that it was the word of God. In Luke 5 and verse 4, through 11, it reads, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have nothing, nevertheless at thy word I will let down thy net. And when they had, let, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckled unto their partners, which were in the other ship, and they, were, and they should come and help them. And they came and filled both of the ships so 
that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, for he has astonished and all that were with him, all the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which they were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had dropped their ships to the land, brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. And look, in Luke, you see that God says, launch out into the deep and let your nets for a drop. And then what happened? They enclosed a great multitude of fish and their nets break. You see, they were pursuing after fish, but when God said, launch out into the deep and their nets break and they fall, they pursued what God said, God made them fishers of men. They were fishing all night, and they weren't catching anything, but God said, launch out to the deep. Simon answered, saying, Master, we've been fishing all night. You can be pursuing after a new job or a new car or a new hobby, and that can stir you away from the house of the Lord, but if you just trust in him, you'll pursue be pursuing after something greater. We were called for something greater, something greater than this world. God isn't going to call you for something greater when you won't pursue him. You want that spot in the office, you want that super nice vehicle, but you won't put the effort in. Pursuing will make you put effort. If you want that call of God or that anointing, you can pursue it, but you don't want to put effort in, God isn't going to bless you without an effort. Those late-night prayer closet meetings, those early morning Bible reading, the time to talk to somebody about God, that's an effort to show that you're willing to set aside out of your busy schedule to give God time in your life. I need to have time with my master. God took time to mold you and shape you. But we can't take time out of our day just to say, thank you, Lord, for this day you've given me. I want to pursue God all the days of my life. I want to be consumed with his presence. I want to see the blinded eyes open. I want to hear the deaf. I want to see the deaf ears open. I want to pursue his presence. In the opening scriptures I read, it read, with the wicked, even Mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Why did they stumble and fall? I stayed pursuing after God. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. My heart has pursued God, and he had fought my battle for me. My faith triumphed fear. The tower of the flock, when the lamb was born... There was an old-fashioned way of tracking that the mother lamb would have a sign around its neck with the family name on it. So when that baby lamb that was going to be sacrificed, they would take a sign and hang it around the neck of that lamb so they would be putting the family name on that lamb 
to be certain that my sacrifice doesn't get mixed up with your sacrifice. It was an old-fashioned way to track. With a little study, you start to wonder about some significance. We all know that Jesus Christ was born to die. We know he was born with a purpose. He lived with purpose. He died with purpose. But I want to tell you something very interesting to me. You get in the scripture that you start reading in John chapter 19. The Bible said that when Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, refused to open his mouth, they took him before Pilate in John chapter 19 and 19. The Bible said that Pilate takes a sign and writes on that sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And in verse 20, the title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified, was nigh to the city, and it was written into Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not. They literally said, Do not write that. Write rather that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, not knowing that he was being used of God, what I have written, I have written. I want you to understand that in artistic expression, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you'll see in four letters, four Latin letters, I-N-R-I. Ienus Nazarenus Rex Iudarum. According to John 19, Latin was not the only language that was the sign was written in. We just read it. It was Latin, Greek, and it was Hebrew. Why did the chief priest have such a problem with that, he wrote? I believe the answer is found that whatever Pilate wrote on that sign in Latin, Jesus, King of the Jews, the four letters that would have been written there in Hebrew would have been Y-H-V-H, is Yate Vate, or as we would say it in English from the Old Testament Bible, Yahweh. The Jews walked up to the cross and they saw a family name hanging on the lamb. And the name that was hanging there in Hebrew said, this is Yahweh. We don't want you to say that. This is Yahweh. We want you to say that he said he was Yahweh. And Pilate said, what I have written, I had written. Pilate only knew. If only he knew. If only he knew what he had written on the family name of that lamb. That this is not just any lamb. That this is the lamb of God. I want to tell you tonight, God did not send a a substitute lamb, but God robed himself in flesh. He dwelt among us and he gave himself. If only you knew tonight what it really was on that day. That's the reason he came. He didn't come to be born. He was born to die. And in closing, if we could all stand and as the musicians come. God, I'm facing that mountain that I don't have the strength to climb. And if you don't step in, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm not here today to be like, okay, these altars are open. 
I'm here for somebody that's desperate to touch God. If we could all close our eyes and let's lift our hands to heaven across this place. Somebody is going to make a decision right now, and it's going to forever change the course of their destiny. This is not a hyperbole. I'm not just here to hype you up. I'm here to reach for somebody today that will say, Lord, I'm giving this battle to you, and you're going to walk to this altar today, and you're going to fa- you're going to say, God, I thank you for every closed door that you have slammed in my face. I thank you, Lord, for every senses that I didn't understand. I thank you for every prayer you have not answered. I thank you today for every heartbreak I had, every that I had, every mountain that I had to climb because it's God that created me. What you're doing right now, God destined you to do. Don't worry about what people think of you. No one is judging you right now. If you want a closer walk with God, tonight's the night. I want to pursue God's presence tonight. I want to be delighted in Him. These altars are open tonight, church.